Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Today, I'd like to introduce Mary Jernoski, Beef Systems Specialist with the University of Nebraska Extension. Mary will be discussing grazing beef cattle on cover crops. Welcome to the podcast, Mary. Oh, thank you, Sarah. To get us started, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, sure. In my position as a beef system specialist, I actually was hired about six years ago uh, to work at Nebraska as a part of an integrated team. So I actually work with an economist and an agronomist, and we really focus on the use of really uh, cropland for forage production. So we we focus a lot on use of crop residues and cover crops uh, really for beef production. Very good. So let's go ahead and jump right into our our questions for today. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, which cover crop species are best for grazing beef cattle. Yeah, so uh, as all questions have the answer, if you're an extension, it depends. I will say broad strokes, grasses are by far uh, one of the best things that you can select. And then once we get in below that, it really depends a lot on planting date. When can you get it planted? When you want to graze it? And then also what what type of animal you have. And all those things really uh, will vary what is optimal, if that makes sense. So let's talk for a second about um, the different types of, of grasses we might use as cover crops. So if you think about the timing of cover crops, we kind of have uh, three basic planting times. Um, one would be somebody planting in the spring. Um, this is not as common uh, because oftentimes uh, one of the most popular crops would be warm season crops, which would also go in um, a little bit later in the spring, but too early for us to get much growth out of a spring planted cover crop. So oftentimes, if they're doing a cover crop that's spring planted, it's often because they're going to double crop with a really short season crop, maybe something like a short season corn silage, or maybe even another forage. Um, And so for spring planting, we were thinking about spring annuals uh, like oats would be probably one of the most popular uh, species that somebody might plant. Um, But the most common times, if you think about planting of cover crops, would be uh, then in the late summer or the fall. And so late summer planting might be like after wheat or another small cereal grain that gets harvested and often those are harvested in the summer and you know July. Uh, and so we can plant something in either late July, early August. For that time frame, 
depending on how early you go, you could plant another warm season species like sorghum sedan is probably one of the most popular ones if you're thinking about forage production and it can yield really, really well. So a lot of people would plant in July, uh, something like sorghum sedan and they would harvest it for hay or they might go ahead and let it accumulate biomass and go ahead and cut it, windrow it, and then graze it in the winter as windrows. That's also a quite effective way of being able to graze cows into the winter. If they can't get it in quite that early and you're really looking at August, for us in Nebraska, um, we're gonna shoot for a cool season species. And again, oats are very popular. Um, there are people who might plant barley, um, but again, focus on the grasses because grasses are the biomass producers. Now I will say in that time frame of August uh, planting, we have seen some really good responses of adding a brassica into the mix. Uh, so brassicas, you know, are like turnips or uh, my favorite uh, brassica right now for grazing is rapeseed. And that's because uh, number one, it's cheap and I love cheap, um, but also it produces a taproot. And I like that rather than the bulbs that say like a purple top turnip produces because I can manage the grazing a little bit better. It seems like cattle, they like to eat off the, the top of the, the brassica and you really kind of got to force them into starting to eat the bulbs. And so I can't maintain as, uh, as much ground cover with grazing if I want to utilize those bulbs and they can produce with purple top turnips. I mean, 50% of the biomass may be in that in that uh, tuber or that bowl. So I like going with rapeseed because it produces more leaf growth, less uh, root growth, if that makes sense. And it's cheap. And I also see great uh, benefits because it's high protein, it's high energy. And we actually see a little bit of boost in performance of growing calves if you put a little bit of brassica in the mix. So for us, we look at about 50 pounds of oats and about a pound and a half uh, to two pounds of, of rapeseed per acre. And we get a nice mix um, that cattle can perform really well on. Now, if you plant any later for us than about the first of September, we're really not gonna get much fall growth. And so then we're moving to spring. And so I would plant in the fall, something that would overwinter with the idea of shooting for spring grazing or harvest. In my mind, if we're, if we're looking for something uh, to overwinter, we really have uh, just a few choices. For us, we can overwinter cereal rye, which is probably one of the most common cover crops um, out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very popular, right? Uh, wheat is another option. And then triticale is another option. Uh, so the past year, few years, we've actually been trying to study some of the differences between those species um, and looking at advantages, disadvantages to them uh, when we're thinking about grazing in the spring. And a lot of people think about cereal rye and, and they often talk about it as being lower quality than the others. And I think the difference uh, is it's not really lower quality, it's just that it is a little bit faster maturing in some cases. So what happens is it gets away from us a little bit easier with the grazing. But the advantage of cereal rye is that it also tends to come on a little bit earlier in the spring. So we can usually get out onto the field with our cattle about a week earlier than with wheat or triticale. 
Um, at the same time, if we can't maintain enough pressure on it uh, to keep it, you know, in that nice vegetative state, um, so keep it short, uh, we can have where we get seed heads that get mature and, and um, the quality goes down. You can have that same thing happen uh, really with any of the annuals, frankly, but wheat and triticale can do that as well. So in my mind, we kind of have the difference in planting time probably dictates which species of the grass you choose. And then um, beyond that, which type of cattle really just probably dictates how you graze it. And so we can talk about grazing management strategies. Um, a lot of times with the exception of allowing those warm season grasses like sorghum sedan to get very mature, a lot of times we can have these cover crops being amazingly high quality. And so they can meet the needs of a growing calf or a lactating cow, or if you just have uh, dry cows or non-lactating cows, we can go ahead and, and change how we graze to make the best use of it. Well, that actually is a perfect lead into my next question, which um, talks about or asks specifically, are there certain ages or types of cattle, um, different stages of life where um, they should where you would recommend that they are grazed on covers? Are there any of those ages and stages that should not be grazed on cover crops? Yeah, I, you know, I would say that there's not a, a particular uh, group of cattle that we would typically have out grazing that we could not use uh, a cover crop for, but how we graze might differ and whether we need to supplement, of course. So if I think about um, grazing, really the growing calf. And actually that's one of the things that I've done the most research on because a lot of times we have this opportunity after wheat or after corn silage to put in, you know, those late summer planted uh, cool season species like oats and brassicas. And what we see is that that lines up really well with where a lot of people would have their springborn calves being wheat. So the the calves are being weaned in October and November, and that forage can be grazed during that time frame. So you're planting it in, say, August, uh, maybe the 1st of September. You get a couple months of growth on it, and then it's already going dormant uh, because we're getting freezing weather, and we can go ahead and start utilizing it because we're not going to get any more growth out of it, if that makes sense. So in that case, uh, we see very good gains out of the calves. And in fact, we can use that to kind of play the market a little bit. So because there's a big influx of calves being weaned, uh, you know, market prices for weaned calves at that time point is usually lower than later in the winter. And so if we can utilize the cover crop to get good gains, um, in this case, we're often getting a pound and a half to two pound a day gains on oats or oat plus brassica. And then we're also waiting for the market to kind of uptick on those calves and their value actually to increase. So we kind of get two uh, positives. And from an economic standpoint, that can work really well. Uh, cost of gains are pretty decent, um, the amount of gain you're getting, and then looking at uh, what we're getting on, uh, on the return for the market. Now, I can use just about anything to to graze growing calves. Like if I planted something after wheat in July and let's say it was sorghum sedan and I let it um, basically mature 
and I'm still going to graze in October and November, I can still use that. I'm just probably going to have to supplement them some protein because the protein is going to be lower in that situation. Uh, so with the, the flip side would be thinking about, okay, what other animals do we have? And uh, one that we've been doing some work with lately has actually been um, late summer or fall calving cows and using that same cool season uh, forage in the fall for grazing them and breeding on it. And with oats, breeding on oats in that uh, October, November time period, we get really good breed up. Um, in fact, oftentimes uh, the cows gain body condition scored despite the fact that they're in peak lactation, right? So they're in early lactation that coincides with breeding, peak lactation, highest energy requirements, and yet they can still gain weight. Um, so that shows you how good a quality that forage is for them. The other idea would be, all right, what about using dry cows? So dry cows have lower requirements, and I just told you that forage is really good. So if we're grazing in the fall with those guys, a lot of times uh, what I see as, as a really great system is producers actually strip grazing or limit grazing uh, them. So they're actually limiting their intake uh, to meet their needs. And most of the time they still get a little bit fat on them, um, but they're being able to extend that forage longer. The downside to that is that um, uh, your ground cover isn't as good at the end because they have grazed it off a little bit harder. So if I think about now in the spring and grazing in the spring, and often that would be that cereal rye or that triticale or that wheat. Um, cereal rye and triticale seem to yield a little bit better than the wheat does. And I think it's just because the wheat's a little bit slower to get going. So we do get a little bit more grazing off of it. Uh, but we can, again, high quality actually with like 700 pound calves. So if we keep them over the winter, uh, so a lot of times the system we've been doing is putting them on oats and, and a brassica um, in the fall, basically that running out sometime in January or February, going to corn residue, supplementing a little bit distillers, which is um, both of those feedstuffs are, are highly available in Nebraska. So that works for us really well, but we overwinter them on that. And then in the spring, we go to another cover crop like cereal rye. And what we've seen is we can get great gains off of those calves and still get um, three pound a day gain off of those calves consistently. And the keys to that is not to listen to what we used to tell people, which was wait till it gets eight inches. Uh, we've seen that we really need to get on there uh, when it's about five inches and we need to have very high stocking rates because it grows so fast that we need to make sure um, that we don't let it get away from us. So I like to do rotational grazing with that. And I like to um, really have some fairly high stocking pressure so I can keep it in that growing stage. And then you can keep the forage quality really, really high. I've seen guys do that with lactating cows or cows calving out on those uh, winter hardy small cereals like rye. Um, and that seems to work really well for them too. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. With a tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, 
to several auctions of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Getter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at getterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. And now back to the podcast. Let's kind of shift gears here a little bit. Once those beef cattle are out on a paddock, how often should a cattle producer be rotating them through those different paddocks? Yeah, so it, it kind of depends on when you're grazing. Um, so if I'm grazing in the spring, I said I like to rotate. And um, oftentimes, I like it minimum a three-way rotation. So I have three fields to go to, whether that be one field that's split up into three um, or whether it's actually three different fields. And, and in that case, I like to have it to where I'm really moving about every five to seven days. And the goal there, right, is just to make sure that by the time I'm getting back to the, the first field in the rotation, it, of course, you want it to have regrown enough to start grazing again, but you also don't want it to get away from you. And I'll tell you, that's probably one of the hardest management things um, to get right is to have the right stocking density. And in fact, we often uh, have producers who will initially start out with that three-way rotation because they start grazing early in the spring and the weather is not 100% ideal for growth. Um, so it's a little bit slower. And then kind of in the peak spring, uh, when that growth is really high, they may have to take part of that field out of the rotation. So they may take one of the segments out of the rotation have only those two fields and they may still split them up or they may just rotate between the two. So I would say trying to target keeping that grass between uh, two to three inches and eight inches when it comes to the spring winter annuals is probably the ideal. And uh, like I said, I like to start out with three fields. Uh, sometimes we end up with two fields. In the fall, things are a little bit different. Um, so if I'm truly a cover crop uh, and I'm going to be planting in the fall or the late summer, I'm not going to get much grazing early. Um, so I often just wait until it's already dormant to start. And if that means that I've already got it frost killed or close to being frost killed, I'm probably not going to rotationally graze uh, because there's no actually added benefit because it's not regrowing and you're not actually changing uh, anything by rotating, but I do think strip grazing can make a huge difference. And so in that case, basically, you're giving them new grass every three to seven days, and they're being able to back graze on what they've already had access to. And often that just makes it easy for you to have the waterer in one location and work your way out from the waterer. Strip grazing, the reason I really like it is because we can get much better utilization of the forage what we see with uh, cover crop grazing in the fall is that if we get some moisture, um, the cattle can trample a lot of forage into the ground. And while that's not all bad, um, we actually see utilization rates that are can be quite low. Like uh, we might be utilizing 30% of the forage, even though when you get done, it looks like let's say 70% of the forage or 80% of the forage disappeared the cattle are only maybe consuming 
uh, 40% and the rest is just being trampled. If we strip, we can get the same ground cover, which I think is the big benefit of having um, the above ground biomass. It's really about ground cover. A lot of where our cover crop benefit comes from, right, is from the root. And if we wait until it's already fully grown, right, and that letting it go dormant, we're really not affecting root growth. So now it's just about maintaining enough cover to keep erosion down and keep that soil protected. So then I can make better use of that forage for the cattle while still maintaining those agronomic benefits um, for the cropland, if that makes sense. So in that case, I don't see uh, a huge benefit in rotating, but I do see a huge benefit in strip grazing. I think we can double the utilization that goes into the cattle without changing how much is left on the field. Okay. So how does a grower know if a paddock is starting to get overgrazed? What are, what are some visual indicators they should look for? Well, so I always think this is an interesting question because the big debate is how much do we need left out there? And again, overgrazing kind of depends a lot on your goals. So if I'm talking about it from a perspective of forage production, one of the key things that uh, producers need to understand about annuals is they're not like perennials and they don't act like perennials. So all the rules that you hear for perennials kind of need to go out the window um, because annuals are not looking to be able to develop stores in the roots, like to regrow from year after year. And in fact, their whole mission in life, right, is to just uh, be go, go reproductive and produce a seed because that's what's going to help the next generation, if that makes sense. Um, so what that means is how they respond to grazing is different. Um, so when we think about overgrazing with perennials, you know, we talk about leaving enough leaf area for them to regrow and not to hit that leaf area too quickly and, um, you know, basically deplete the stores that are in the roots. With annuals, the, the rotation can be much more rapid and the amount of leaf area you need for them to regrow is much less. So if I'm thinking about just getting them to regrow, uh, again, I told you two to three inches is fine um, for those winter hardy species if it's regrowing. If I'm thinking about something like, uh, let's say a summer annual like sorghum sedan um, or sedan grass that I planted and I'm grazing it during that summer period when it's regrowing, then you may be looking like two feet um, down to about six inches as kind of your optimum, don't graze lower than six inches. If I'm talking about in the fall and it's during that dormant period, then it's all about ground cover because you're, you're not gonna get regrowth anyways. So in that case, you know, ground cover what we've seen is even when we have uh, three, two to three inches, which doesn't look like a lot, it doesn't look like a lot out there on the field, but when we measure like erosion potential and the effects on the soil, we see that that's sufficient with grazing situations to really have all the benefits we want, even on, you know, corn silage where it's pretty bare without having that cover crop. And so in my mind, it, it really does come down to what you're grazing and when you're grazing it and whether you want it to regrow. Um, 
But if, if I was looking at kind of optimums, those are kind of the ranges I would give you six inches lowest on warm seasons that you're trying to get to regrow and two to three inches on any of the cool season grasses that you're trying to get to regrow. Okay. So now how does grazing cattle on cover crops affect the soil health of the paddocks? I know you talked about tap roots and you've talked about, um, you know, some of those brassicas can have large amounts of biomass below the surface of the soil. Well, how does that translate into soil health? And are there other benefits for soil health that growers can, can grab by having those cows out on a pasture? Looking at the impacts of cattle grazing on soil health has actually been one of the things that over the past six years we've been doing a lot of research on. What we've seen is that uh, grazing, if you look at it compared to a cover crop with no grazing or compared to no cover crop, all you see is that having cattle grazing on cover crop is a lot like just having them planted. And that's because a lot of the benefits are roots. So when we think about uh, soil organic matter benefits, um, the majority of that would be from the roots. And, and uh, everything doesn't have a huge effect on that. Um, we don't see that having capitalizing on cover crops really causes compaction. I will say that if we're dream grazing um, and we're grazing when soil food, that we can have increased surface roughness, which I still feel um, you know, producers don't really like that uh, because we have a little bit slow planting, for instance. And you do see that sometimes if it's really wet and they are out there on the field, um, trampling around the cause that surface dry again, they can actually uh, create um, a little bit of a negative effect in that <clears throat> what they'll do is actually start mounting up to the tops of uh, what they've kind of plugged up and so they can have small particles that plug some of the pores in the soil. And so we do use a little bit of infiltration risk in some cases with spring burning, um, but they're not very long-term effects. On the flip, we get some benefits. And the benefits of having the cattle out there uh, is that you're you're actually having them remove off the biomass, basically pre-process it, if that makes sense. Um, so they consume it, and then um, the nutrients that they did not digest, which is uh, a, a pretty large proportion of the nutrients, actually get excreted back out the field. Um, and so what we see there is that we see an uptick in uh, the microbial biomass out in the field because there's more readily available nutrients. It's not tied up in that biomass anymore. And so we see increased nutrient cycling because the cattle kind of reprocessed for us, if that makes sense. So from that perspective, I think that's why a lot of people talk about adding cattle and it being kind of the next thing um, in the soil health, health nexus. Um, and I think that is a benefit. And I think the other benefit is, of course, you're not hauling anything away in terms of nutrients, the nutrients are staying in the field. Um, they're being consumed and just being excreted back out into the field. Let's talk about timing and how 
length of time, and you kind of alluded to this in your first response when you were talking about when grazing happens, but realistically, how long can a cattleman extend the grazing season using cover crops in the, the late winter and then in the earlier part of the spring? Oh yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I, I will say the, the late winter time frame it really depends a lot on weather. Um, but for us, a lot of times we can consistently graze uh, from say November into early January fairly easily. In January, we start getting um, precipitation events that sometimes cause us not to be able to graze um, for periods of time. And what I mean by that is uh, I don't worry so much about snow unless it's over, say, eight inches. Um, they can graze through snow. Um, but if we get ice, uh, half an inch of ice, and we're done grazing until the ice melts. And it seems like for us, that's the time frame. So it's not so much about how the biomass reacts to the weathering in the winter as it is just the weather how it might impede our ability to graze. The other side of that uh, for me would be um, that we also sometimes get a lot of trampling if we get a warm up event, uh, say in February, and may lose you know, a large proportion of the grass if we let it go that long. So it really kind of depends on on your goals and what you're trying to do. Uh, but for the most part, what I see consistently is producer ability into January, February, and then sometimes uh, that's usually when they start moving on to other feed resources. Now, spring is is what's the next crop? Um, for us, if I think about um, how long we can graze, we can graze a lot longer um, than most people would feel comfortable delaying planting of a warm season crop like corn or soybeans. Um, so a lot of times what I see the grazing is really uh, early April to about May 15th, and that's as far as anybody's willing to go to delay planting another unless they're going to some other forage crop. How long could they graze on that same forage species? Uh, probably, uh, realistically, we're looking at maybe June. Okay. Well, uh, we are running short on time today. So thank you so much, Mary, for joining us. Once again, I want to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.